title of the message is A People on Fire, and I want to begin with a, a fun question. Have you ever learned about something so exciting that you had to experience it firsthand? Or when's the last time you learned about something so exciting that you had to be on, in on it? You had to learn about it firsthand. Uh, my wife has told me a story I'd like to share with you. Over the last couple weeks, she's been teaching on the solar system, and uh, she teaches fourth grade. And first of all, I'm not sure about you guys. I barely remember anything from elementary school. It's amazing what these kids are learning. It's, it's really crazy. Anyway, she's teaching about the, the solar system, so we're going to do a little test. How many planets are in the solar system, in our solar system? I've got nine, eight, I heard a seven. Your daughter's in the class. Come on. But you're right. Eight planets. But how many were there when we were children? Nine. They stole one from us. Which planet did they steal? They downgraded Pluto. Come on. That was my favorite planet. I don't remember anything about it other than the name, right? They downgraded Pluto. There's eight planets in the solar system. The first eight closest to the sun are made of? Anyone? Rock. And then they're separated from the, the, the other eight by something called the asteroid belt. And then the next four are made of? You, you, not marshmallows, Garth. <laughs> Gas. Gas. And so it's one thing to learn about this kind of stuff in a book, right? You know? Um, but it just so happens there's a little girl named Sophia in this class. And Sophia is one of these larger-than-life personalities. And, and her birthday was coming up. And uh, somehow her family, they heard and she heard that there's actually a club in Charleston, maybe, maybe you're a member of it, called the Low Country Stargazers. Do we have any members of the Low Country? Yeah, I've never heard of it until this story. And apparently they go out into the different parks around Charleston with huge telescopes and look at the stars at night. And Sophia, turning, I think, 10, said, that's what I want for my birthday. And so um, Sophia goes out, and uh, her mom said, like, Sophia's joy was just contagious. And so she captured some pictures. Now we're going to, another test. What's the image on the left? The moon, yeah. You can see the different craters. And the image on the right, anyone? I think it's Jupiter. But I could be wrong. I'm not a teacher. I'm a pastor. But look at the different moons. You can even see there's, I think, four moons seen there. Okay, here's the real tricky one. What is that? Saturn. You see the ring? You see the ring? You can see two little black dots. And, and I'm not sure what this is, if it's a moon, but two little black dots you can see. And she was just overjoyed and running around the different telescopes as she was not only learning about the solar system, she was seeing it and she was experiencing it firsthand. So when's the last time you learned about something that caught your heart, set your life on fire? That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2 at the establishment of the early church. I think the point of our passage is this. God wants our lives to be so consumed by his love that we set the world ablaze. 
God wants us to be so consumed by his love that we set our world on fire. We're going to unpack this and what this means. I have three points. The first is this. His love first brings transformation, not simply inspiration, as we read about in this passage. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Oh, that's exciting. Violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, where are we at in the, the kind of the life of the church up to this point, the life of the disciples? Um, this spring in 2018, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And here's where we're at as we jump ahead. Um, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus has already occurred. If you remember, think back to Easter. We celebrate his death, his resurrection. And then he appears to the disciples. Acts chapter 1, it's actually written... Uh, by a doctor. It's very detailed. If you've never read Acts, it's spectacular. It's an action-packed story of the establishment of the early church. Acts chapter 1, it says Jesus, after he had died and rose again, ministered to the disciples for 40 days, providing proofs. Even non-Christians, there's historical accounts of Jesus being alive. Did you know that? This is not some fantasy. This is fact. He's risen, he's ministering to them, and, and, and they're, they're slowly changing. They're slowly getting it. And at one point, he turns to them and he says, Friends, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my, my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the picture is one of Jesus literally ascending into heaven. And for 10 days, there's what, what the reports say, 120 Christians, probably around the number we have here today, um, in this service, there's 120 gathered and praying together, eating together, seeking God together, day in and day out. And so what happened then is Pentecost hits. Pentecost was a ceremony or a celebration that was throughout the history of the Israelite nation. Pentecost means, anyone take a wild guess? Add the numbers up. Jesus was with them 40 days and then for another 10 days, they were without him praying that God would send the Holy Spirit. Pentecost means 50, believe it or not. Literally, it means 50. And historically, it had been the celebration where uh, the Israelites bring the first fruits of their grain to God in worship, that God is providing for them. But God is providing something fresh and new and everlasting on this Pentecost Sunday, both then and now. He's providing the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's, as you can see, physically represented here, but as we read with the Joel passage and the Acts 2 passage, we, we read this story of like wind coming down, like a hurricane force wind coming down, shaking the very bones of the structure they were in. 
and then a fire coming down on them, on each one of them. And for those guys, it would have been earth-shattering. Why? Because anytime God's wind passes through, it means his very presence is there, palpably there. There's a story from Ezekiel chapter 37 about dry bones, and God says, Ezekiel, do you believe that those bones can come back to life? And God's ruah is breathed into the very bones, and those bones are resurrected. And in the same way, the same language, God is breathing his very presence into these believers for them and for us. Beyond that, then there's this picture of fire. Fire descending. Kind of scary, but powerful. Think about fire in the Old Testament. Do you remember how the Israelites were guided? Cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, as they were led out of, bond, led out of bondage from Egypt into the Promised Land. Do you remember where uh, God met Moses? At a burning bush. And God is saying, I'm dropping down, not just in one random time and place, but for all of you and for all time in a unique new way right now. I'm breathing wind and fire. I am coming with my presence and my power to fill you up. In a moment, in that moment, the power that breathed life into the first man, that split wide the Red Sea, that went before and behind the Israelites in the wilderness, that dwelt over the tabernacle, that filled the inner walls of the temple, that brought life to the valley of dry bones, that resurrected the very Son of God, came flooding into the hearts of the followers of Jesus who were there longing for more, longing for for love, longing for transformation. So what's the point? God doesn't want to just save your life. He wants to breathe new life into it. He wants to breathe new love into it. He wants to breathe his very power into you, not just around you. So let me ask this. Are you discouraged in any way today? Back in those days, prior to this event, the Israelites would have had to go to a particular time and place to meet with God. And God's saying, I'm coming to meet with you right here, right now, and I'm going to be with you. So be it in your marriage. Be it in your longings. I have friends that have experienced great loss this semester. Be it in your losses. Beating your hopes, your dreams, whatever. God is saying, I've come to bring my ruah, my breath, my fire, not just to you, but in you, to fill you with my love. The point number one, love brings transformation. It's not simply about information or inspiration. Point number two, his love is for you, but it's not just for you. This is a big point, and it's actually really convicting me right now in my life. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Believe it or not, it sounded like we read all of Acts 2. We didn't read all of Acts 2. In that same passage, these young believers are accused of being drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning by some. It literally says that in the passage. What is happening? They're amazed. And what's happening is God is speaking. God is using each one of these believers to mouth the voice, his good news, his gospel in various language. It says, God-fearing Jews, respectable Jews from every nation were hearing their own native tongue being spoken in this very moment. And just picture the scene, how bizarre that must have been like. I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally or even, say, been to Grand Central Terminal in New York City where you hear the different languages. It's powerful, the diversity. And that's pretty much the scene here. You've got all these different languages, and God's word is being breathed not only into these believers, but out of these believers to all of them. And what's the point of this? God is bringing and fulfilling his promises in this very moment to them and to us. Tretton already read as a call to worship the passage from Joel. So I'll, where it says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Not just on the Israelites, not just in a particular time or place, but all people. Bennett on you, Carly on you, Garth on you, Bobby on you, all people. Meredith on you, Gabby on you. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, every people. And the point being, God moves from dwelling, uh, moves from dwelling uh, among people or around people to within people saying, I am with you forever. And further in the New Testament, that's why we as people of God are called the new temple. God's very spirit is living in you. You don't have to go to some pilgrimage to meet him. He's come and dropped down to meet you and live in you. And this is good news. But even beyond that, God is moving from pouring into a people to out from a people. And I think this is where I'm really convicted. He's not only pouring into us, he's wanting to pour out from us. And this is fulfilling several great promises. The Abrahamic covenant from Genesis chapter 12. I will make, you, make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is for you, but it's not just for you. All the families, all the nations. And then as you fast forward to the very last book of the Bible, that apocalyptic literature, there's this picture of the beautiful, diverse, yet united family of God worshiping together. And we read these words from Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus. Let me read that again. And there was a great multitude no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The closest thing I've ever experienced to this is when my wife and I were at Wheaton College for our undergraduate degrees. 
Wheaton is up in Chicago. It's a Christ-centered school. And at one time in this worship service, uh, we were invited to praise God together, to pray out loud together uh, in our native tongues. Now, if any of you know anything about Wheaton, it's a global college. And in a moment, this podunk little Paul Sorensen from Lake Wales, Florida, was blown over. Why? Because hundreds, and actually thousands of voices were raised. Japanese, Mandarin, Russian, you name it. It seemed to be there, and they were all praising God, not one at a time, out loud together, filling the room with praises to God. And that's the picture we have here in Acts. All tribes, all tongues, all nations. No one excluded from this love. God is saying, I've come to bless you so you can bless others. Now this has serious implications for our faith. Because it's for you, but it's not just for you. You see, God wants to unleash his love through you and through us to go across all the various barriers that are dividing us. He's wanting you to go across the street to your neighbor. He's wanting you to go across the street to minister and love those people that, honestly, you're, you don't feel comfortable around. He's wanting you to go across states. He's wanting you and me to go across countries to build a diverse and united family around one God, one message, and one love, Jesus Christ. Yes, he wants to save you, but he wants more than that to save a diverse and united family that know his love. This love is for you, but it's not just for you. And point number three, his love, and this is big if you grew up in the South, his love ignites a movement, not just a moment, where you say, yes, come into my heart, Jesus. His love ignites a movement. God wants to unleash a movement in you and in me and in us. What happened here was a long passage. Let me give you the snapshot of what happened. Peter, the very cocky Peter, and the very humbled Peter that denied Jesus at the cross and thought he was an utter failure, Peter finally stood up and preached the first sermon the church has ever heard by a layman, right? Peter stood up with courage and preached all about Jesus, who he was, how he faced the violence of the world, which we can you know, relate to now. And they, uh, Jesus faced the violence and came with love and peace and hope and died a sinner's death. Why? So that we wouldn't have to. And God raised him up. All the, yes, all the promises of the Old Testament find their fulfillment, their yes in Jesus. That's what he says. If you want to read Acts 2, I encourage you to do it. If you want to know what the gospel is, just read Acts chapter 2. It's all right there. Got it? So here's Peter with conviction and courage. After he preaches this sermon, he says, Therefore, all Israel, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. If you've ever heard that language, do you know Christ is your Lord and Savior? This is the passage it comes from. God has made him, not us. God has made him Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far, far off. I came across a story this week of J.P. Morgan. Anyone heard of J.P. Morgan? Well, J.P. Morgan, the original J.P. Morgan, lived in the mid-1800s into the early 1900s. He was a financier and a banker, very successful. In fact, when he died, his will had roughly 10,000 words and 37 various articles. I'm looking at a lawyer. Very complicated will. But he also left this one declaration because he had made this one decision. I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having redeemed it and washed it in his most precious blood, he, he will present it faultless before the throne of my heavenly Father, and I entrust my children to maintain and defend at all hazard and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of the complete atonement for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ once offered and through that alone. Powerful. According to my calculations, he was worth over $2 billion. According to the interwebs, he was worth over $2 billion when he died. But the one thing that was most important to him was trusting his life to Jesus Christ. And then entrusting that gospel to his children to then take up and carry. You see, when we come face to face with God's love through Jesus, we all have a decision to make. We all have a decision to make. And here's the thing. It's not just a decision for you. Whatever decision you make impacts the lives of your children and your family and all who are far off. Yes, God calls you to have a moment where we repent, where we turn and trust Him. We confess of our waywardness. But whatever decision we make, and you have to make a decision. There's no kind of gray area. You either recognize that this is true or it's not. And wherever you're at in your faith journey, we welcome you. But Peter is saying, God has made Jesus Lord and Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to me unless you come through him. And this has far-reaching implications. Do you guys remember the original call or invitation to Peter? Do you remember this? Some of you, uh, Jesus meets Peter, he's fishing, and Jesus calls on them to uh, cast their net on one side of the boat. They catch all these fish. Immediately, Peter drops to his knees, and he's like, away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, no, come, you follow me, and I'll make you fisher of men. Come, you follow me, and through you, we will launch a movement that will change this place, this people, and this world. See, that's the point of Pentecost. God 
wants to light you on fire with his love so your world is forever changed. That you draw together this diverse, beautiful family, that you go out with this gospel. And you go in your homes, you go in your workplaces, and you go in your world, not building walls, but building bridges. Breaking down barriers, crossing barriers. That's what the Holy Spirit does. To send you as an agent, as an ambassador of his love. Again, in summary, God wants our lives to be so consumed by his love that we set the world ablaze. God wants us all to be like little Sophia. Contagious. Infectious with our incitement over what God has offered to us in Jesus Christ. And it's not a matter of willpower. It's actually a matter of receiving God's Holy Spirit. What do we do, we read? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Turn and trust every one of you. You're all welcome in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise and it's for you and for your kiddos and for all who are far off. So here's the deal. We're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to invite Trenton to come forward wherever he's at. And he's going to lead us in a, a, a call of excuse me, a song of reflection and response. So I'm just trusting that God's moving even in this room right now through hearts, cutting hearts so his love can find a way in. So if you're someone that is dry and needs God's power to give you new life, you want God to breathe new life into you in any way, shape, or form, I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you're someone that recognizes, man, you've been living kind of with a, a fragmented gospel just about you and not for your world, and you want to be filled up so that you can go out in his love to your neighbors in your city and our world, I'm going to invite you to come forward during this song. And then last but not least, if you're someone that has never said yes to Jesus, and this is all still fairly new, these guys didn't have it all figured out. But they said, what do we do? What do we do? And he said, come, repent, turn and trust. I'm going to invite you to come forward. So we're going to sing this song. As you feel led, we just invite you to come forward. And uh, as the song ends, Pastor Jerry is going to pray over you, and then we're going to transition into communion.